Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to This Week in Sports, episode 30. We have hit a milestone, and I just want to thank all my loyal, faithful fans out there that have been listening each and every week, getting their sports fix right here. The best place to get all your weekly sports knowledge right in one shot in about an hour's time. So anyway, on this week's episode, we're talking Heisman Trophy winner. We're talking college basketball. There were three big-time upsets in college basketball. Number one has gone down. We have the winter meetings going on in Major League Baseball. A lot of trades, a lot of free agent signings there. So tune in if you want to catch up on that. And then we have the NFL as always. The NFL is the place to be. If you want to know what's going on, tune in here every week for your NFL coverage. We had a brilliant comeback by the Chargers last night to beat the AFC's number one team, the Kansas City Chiefs. And then, of course, in the NBA, we had James Harden just setting some more records. LeBron James did the same thing. If you want to find out what those were, stay tuned for the next hour or so. Let's go. You're listening to This Week in Sports. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Happy Friday to all. It is Friday, December 14th, 2018. I'm going to try to get through this episode pretty quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on this one. I know the last few have been quite long. There's been a lot going on in the sports world, but I just had a colonoscopy this morning. Everything went well, but I just want to give you a forewarning if I sound a little groggy or a little grumpy or if I have to pause this and run to the bathroom for whatever reason, I apologize. But yes, I had a colonoscopy. I believe everything is out of my system now. So without further ado, we will get right into the swing of things. And we're going to start with college football, as I like to do, because it kind of bores everyone and we get that out of the way the fastest. So we begin this one with Uh, We'll talk about Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback. He made headlines this past week because he has decided he is going to forego the Camping World Bowl game versus Syracuse, and he is going to focus solely on preparation for the NFL draft. Now, Will Greer is one of those guys. He finished fourth in, in the Heisman. I'll get into that in a bit. And... He took over at West Virginia at the start of 2017, I believe. He's compiled about 3,500 yards, 34 touchdowns that season. And this year, he really made a name for himself. Like I said, he, I mean, for a guy to finish fourth in the Heisman race, he had his team on the cusp outside chances um, of getting into the college football playoff, just couldn't quite get it done there in the Big 12, but he had a very solid season, and he's on the radar of many NFL teams, and he's looking like he might not be a top 10 pick, but he's definitely a guy that can finish in, uh, that could get drafted in that first round of the NFL draft, and just to give you an idea of how good he was this year, he completed about 67% of his passes, averaged nearly 10 yards per attempt, and he threw for roughly 4,000 yards, okay? So, this is a big deal, the fact that he's going to sit out this bowl game. Not not that simply, because we've seen it in the past. We've seen running backs sit out in the past, 
but we've never really seen a quarterback do it. This is really the first quarterback that's done it. We've seen guys get hurt in bowl games, and it just plummets their value in the draft. And really, it's they're looking out for themselves. And so that's, I mean, good for Will Greer. He's going he's gonna to ensure that he doesn't get hurt because what's one game in college versus the rest of his pro career? So he's going to get ready for the NFL draft and see how things work out in April's draft. Okay, next up we have the Army versus Navy game that took place. That was pretty much the lone game we had this weekend. And President Donald Trump, he was there. He became the 10th sitting president to attend the game. He officiated the coin toss beforehand, so he flipped the coin. Army won that coin toss and um, won the game as well. So give you a little background on the Army-Navy game. JFK, John F. Kennedy, he was the first president to flip the coin at the Army-Navy game in 1961. Trump also, if you will remember back in 2016, he did attend this game as well, but that's when he was the president-elect, so not the act, the sitting president. Um, again, I said Army won this game. Uh, final was 17-7. to This was their third straight win over Navy. Okay, now we'll get into the Heisman. That was the big news over the weekend. And I said it on last week's episode that I thought Kyler Murray was going to win the award, and it was Tua's pretty much all season long, but that final game in the SEC championship really hurt his chances. And of course, that's what happened. Kyler Murray won the Heisman, and that gives Oklahoma back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners. Baker Mayfield won it a year ago. And he received 517 first place, first place votes and 2,167 points. Murray did, that is. And then Tua Tagovailoa of Alabama, he finished with 299 first place votes and 1,871 points. It's funny because I mentioned it again last week, Dwayne Haskins, nobody was really giving him much love, and he led the nation in passing and and touchdowns, and it it just seemed like it was between Kyler and Tua, and if I had to pick between the three of them, I did think Haskins had the better season of all of them, but I would have given it to uh, Kyler Murray when it came down to the end between him and Tua. Okay, next up, we have to talk about the Jim Harbaugh rumors for a quick second. Okay, he lost to Ohio State a few weeks ago, and ever since then, there's been rumors pretty much that he's done at Michigan. He's going to head back on to the NFL, where he did have quite a bit of success, led the 49ers to a Super Bowl that he eventually lost to his brother. But he denounced all rumors that he's going to leave Michigan to go back to the NFL. And after he speaks, I'll get into that. So he spoke with Adam Schefter and he said, I am on record right here, right now. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying at Michigan. We have big plans here and there's a lot we want to accomplish. Okay. Jim Harbaugh has an outstanding record at Michigan as the head coach, 38 and and 13 in four years. But again, he's never beaten Ohio state and It makes it a very easy decision for Harbaugh to stay in Michigan now because Urban Meyer announced his resignation early last week. So that makes it much easier. A guy that's never beaten Urban Meyer since he's been at Michigan. Now Urban Meyer's gone. So yeah, 
a lot of Ohio State recruits might be switching it up and going to Michigan. He's going to have a much better time recruiting and a much easier time trying to beat his rival, Ohio State. So we'll see how that all plays out in the coming years. And then next up, I spoke about how Kansas State head coach um, last week, Bill Snyder, was stepping down at 79 years old. And it appears that they now have their new head coach. They are hiring North Dakota State's Chris Kleeman. Okay. Now, you might not know him from the FCS, but Kleeman has gone 67 and 6 and won three national titles as the head coach of the Bison. That's where um, Carson Wentz went to school, mind you. This makes a lot of sense considering that current Kansas State Athletic Director Gene Taylor was also at North Dakota State with Kleeman. And then we have another head coaching hire, this one coming from Temple. They hired Miami defensive coordinator Manny Diaz. Jeff Collins recently uh, left Temple after just two seasons to take the Georgia Tech job. Now, a little bit about Manny Diaz. He's been the defensive coordinator at Miami for the past three seasons, and entering their bowl game, they are the number two defense in the country. And this will be Diaz's first head coaching gig at just 44 years of age. So congratulations to him. Temple got themselves what looks to be a good defensive-minded head coach. Okay, and last but not least, not too much to go over in college football world, but we got to talk about DJ Durkin. The ex-Maryland head coach, it just came out yesterday that he has been consulting at Alabama for the past week. Now, it's it's unclear if he's, you know, if this will lead to a full-time role or not, but he was fired in October at Maryland after a lengthy investigation into the death of offensive lineman Jordan McNair. And it's funny because Maryland has since hired Alabama offensive coordinator Mike Loxley as their head coach. So I wonder if Durkin is now going to replace Loxley as Alabama's offensive coordinator, filling in kind of that role that Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin filled as offensive coordinators of Alabama after they had some high-profile scandals, if you will. Okay. So now we move along. We're going to get right into it, and we're going to talk about the NBA. There was a big trade earlier in the week. George Hill was traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee sent Matthew Della Vadova, John Henson, and a future second-round pick to the Cavs for George Hill. That seems like a lot. The Cavs also sent Sam Decker to the Bucks. And in return, the Bucks sent Cleveland a 2021 first and second round pick. Matthew Della Vadova is headed back to Cleveland where he began his career there. And okay, now uh, LeBron James. Many of you on the East Coast, like myself, have not really been watching LeBron because the Lakers play at about 10.30 p.m. and most of us can't stay up that late. But he made Lakers history. And that is good company We all know he's the best player in the world, but no player in Lakers history has scored more points during their team's first 25 games than LeBron James. He surpassed both Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Shaquille O'Neal, and just this season alone, he's averaging 28.7 points per game. But again, you can ask LeBron yourself. I'm sure he will say 
None of those personal accolades mean anything unless he can win a championship or two or three with this young Lakers team. All right, this is a weird one. I've talked about it earlier. So the Bulls players, the Bulls season has been really, really bad. They have stunk it up. They are now probably the laughing stock of the Eastern Conference. It's no longer the Knicks, although they're right up there. But the Bulls have had just one of those seasons to forget. On Monday, they fired Fred Hoiberg, their coach. They lost to the Celtics on Saturday by 56 points. Say what? Yeah, that's not an exaggeration. They they legitimately lost by 56 points. We're talking an NBA team here. This was the worst loss in the franchise's history, and somewhere Michael Jordan was just cringing at this. It was their worst loss in franchise history, and the players actually debated whether or not they would boycott practice. They had a group text going on on whether or not they wanted to skip practice, but instead they decided to hold a players-only meeting. Just bizarre. And then um, on Monday, they were booed off the court as they fell to the Kings 108-89. to It was their 13th loss in 15 games. Their interim head coach, Jim Boylan, has gone one and three, but as apparent apparently he's already upset most of his locker room, and it's just really bad because when t- a team when players decide are well are mulling over the fact that they might boycott practice and not even show up, that just proves how dysfunctional the team dynamic is. The head coach has no say in what's going on. He's lost the team completely. So it's really it's really strange there. We got to look to see what happens throughout the rest of this season, but not looking good for the Bulls at all. Okay, Paul Millsap, a little bit of injury news. He's going to miss four to six weeks after he suffered a broken toe. This was last week against Charlotte, and he's looking to hopefully return sometime in January. Okay, Rudy Gobert. I spoke about this last week, how he was ejected in the first three minutes of the game, which was the fastest on record in the past 15 seasons. Well, he again is going off on the refs following a 122 to 113 loss to the Thunder on Monday. He only was able to manage 21 minutes due to foul trouble. And he said, tonight, someone grabbed my arm, pulled me down. That was a very dangerous play. And I got called for the foul. So if I got to do justice myself, I'm going to do justice myself. And it's going to get ugly. Hopefully, I don't have to do that. I just want to play basketball. So he did go on to admit that, you know, being a ref in the NBA is a tough job. But listen, he's threatening the refs right now. He's giving them almost an ultimatum. If you don't start making calls in my favor, I'm going to start you know, doing something about it. What that is, I don't exactly know, but he's probably going to be fined. And listen, this is not how you get the ref's attention. This is not how you get the refs to, to start making calls in your favor. It's just not how it's done. I understand the frustration and he did kind of walk those words back. But once you say something like that, you can't really walk it back. And then we move on to the man, the myth, the legend himself, Greg Popovich, He now has passed Pat Riley on the all-time wins list. 
The Spurs had a 111-86 win over the Suns, and Pop moved up to fourth all-time on the coaching wins list, and he now sits just 10 wins away from tying Jerry Sloan with 1,221 wins, so he will get he will surpass that very quickly in the next couple of weeks. So he will move into third all-time. So congrats to Greg Popovich. He's been doing it for a long time. The Celtics, they won seven straight, and Kyrie Irving scored the Celtics' final 12 points in a 130-125 win on Wednesday against the Wizards. And that was as of Wednesday, so let me check my scores here real quick because last night, of course, was a lot of football action. Okay, so yes, that is accurate. They haven't played. They did not play yesterday, the Celtics. So it is seven straight. They will square off tonight against Atlanta at seven. So back to this game. This was a really good game. Um, Both teams exchanged five game-tying or go-ahead field goals in the final minute of the fourth quarter and overtime. Kyrie Irving finished with uh, 38 points, seven assists. It was his fifth 30-point game this season. So a healthy Kyrie Irving is one of the best players in the league. Now, some more injury news. This one comes out of the Raptors camp, and that's Jonas Valanciunas, their their center. He's going to be out for about a month after undergoing surgery on his thumb. He dislocated his thumb versus the Warriors the other night. So that was a bummer. That's going to be a bummer. That was in a 113 to 93 huge win for the Toronto Raptors. But now they lose their center who was having a career year thriving off the bench, averaging 12.8 points and 7.2 rebounds per game in just about just under a tick under 19 minutes. And now with Kawhi Leonard also nursing that hip injury, the Raptors' three-and-a-half game lead over the Bucks and Sixers in the Eastern Conference, that could quickly evaporate. We'll have to see how that goes. But they've been the best team in the Eastern Conference thus far, but their lead is starting to shrink. And DeMarcus Cousins, he has been out. He has not yet made his debut with the Warriors. Of course, we know last season he with the Pelicans, he tore his Achilles, I believe, and he's missed all of this season so far. He was going to come back, I think, in a couple of weeks, maybe early January, New Year's Day, maybe, I think, was his uh, was the timetable for his return. But that has now been pushed back, and it looks like that DeMarcus Cousins isn't going to suit up and make his debut with the Warriors until sometime in February. They did, though, however... The Warriors assigned Cousins to their G League team in Santa Cruz earlier this week, so that is some good news for Cousins, and he is sort of trending in the right direction. Okay, last night, while most of you were watching the Chiefs and Chargers, James Harden set the NBA record by notching his fourth career 50-point triple-double. He was phenomenal. He tallied 50 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. Against the Lakers in a 126-111 victory, he outdueled both LeBron James and a very hot-handed Kyle Kuzma. The Rockets have not been good for most of the season, but they really have seemingly gotten into a groove in the last in the last two weeks or so. Uh, excuse me, in the last two games they've looked very good. They look back to their normal form uh, again. They sit at 13 and 14 for the season, so they've got a ways to go. 
before they get back up there at the top of the Western Conference. All right, that looks like it's going to do it for our NBA coverage, and we move on to some college basketball. There were a slew of upsets in college basketball. Not many people really like to watch college basketball this early in the season, but this is how you take notice of some of these teams. This is how you put your March bracket to use right now. You got to start prepping early in November and December. So we start off with the best game of all of them, probably, which was Saturday's game between Kentucky and Seton Hall. What a thriller these two gave us at the Garden. I mean, wow. They traded last second shots and went to overtime. Here is the first one that took place. Ready? Six to shoot. Piles not giving this up. Step back jumper. So, yeah, that was Miles Powell, probably Seton Hall's best player. He drained a three with a guy draped in his face. I mean, unbelievable shot. And you thought Seton Hall was going to pull out the upset, right? Yeah, no. Then this happened. Here's B.J. Washington. He can run the baseline. Throws it midcourt. Kelvin Johnson. That tied the game at 70. That was pretty much a half-court buzzer beater to tie the game and send it to overtime. And overtime was just as thrilling, and that's when this happened. Seton Hall has one timeout left, 20 seconds to go. Baseline. McKnight, the kick. Thompson shows it. Kale steps back, lets it fly. Yeah, so just a thrilling game, unbelievable game. When that last possession where uh, Kale hits that hits that eventual game winner, I really thought they were they were passing back and forth and back. I thought they were it was one too many passes, but just an incredible pump fake, and he drains the shot. And Seton Hall with the upset of their season so far. Then we had another upset, number seven Tennessee. They beat number one Gonzaga. That was their biggest win in probably Rick Barnes's four-year tenure at uh, Tennessee. They win this one 76-73 in the Colangelo Classic. Admiral Schofield, who is Tennessee's uh, best player, he made a go-ahead three with 24 seconds left to cap a wild finish. Gonzaga had a nine-point lead that they squandered up in the final six minutes. Can't do that if you're in the number one team, but Schofield scored 25 of his 30 points in the second half and went six of 10 behind the arc. That's how the defending SEC champion volunteers do it. They now sit at seven and one and have moved up to number three in the country. And then finally, we cap this off with another huge upset as as Penn beats Nova, okay? If you did not know, 
because most people don't really know this, Penn and Nova have a long history as members of what's called Philly's Big Five, which includes teams like Temple, LaSalle, and St. Joseph. So entering Tuesday night, Villanova held a 48-16 and all-time record against Penn, including a winning streak dating back to 2002. So that streak ended in this one when the Quakers took down number 17 Nova, 78-75. Here it was. Act. Booth from the corner. And I prefaced this earlier, okay? Now is when you want to start prepping your March Madness brackets. You want to keep some of these teams in the back of your mind. Who are those Cinderella teams? Who's a team that's going to make a run as a 10 or 11 seed and get to the Final Four? Well, guess what? That team very well could be the Penn Quakers. Listen to this. They beat, so they beat Villanova on Tuesday. A week prior to that, on Tuesday, they beat Miami. And they have now won five games in a row and sit at nine and two. This is a team I'm telling you right now. If they continue on this road, they are going to be in the NCAA tournament. And they are going to be one of those teams that that has one or two upset victories. I'm calling it right now. Just watch out for the Penn Quakers. Okay, that'll do it for our college basketball take and we move on to the NFL of course we do so early last week or early in the week Darren Lee the New York Jets linebacker was suspended for the final four games of the season for violating the substance abuse policy I haven't really heard any more information on this although he will serve out the final four games of the season and he'll be back next year he was Darren Lee has been just a disappointment, but um, overall, he's had a very nice season for the Jets this year, probably his best year, so I don't know what he was taking that he violated the uh, policy here, but unfortunately, he's going to miss the final four games of the year. And uh, back to, we'll swing uh, things on up to Mike McCarthy. We know he was fired in Green Bay, but he took out a full-page ad just to thank the fans, so that was a nice gesture there. Um, and then go figure Aaron Rodgers. He sets a record in the week that his coach is fired. First game since his coach is fired. He set the record for consecutive pass attempts without an interception. The Packers season has been mostly down. And Rodgers, if you, if you were to ask him, he hasn't had his best season by far. So with all that being said, I really, most people really didn't know this myself included He had only thrown one interception this entire season, and that continues. So he threw a 24-yard touchdown pass to Randall Cobb, which put Green Bay up 27-7 against the Falcons in the third quarter. That pass marked the 359th straight pass that Rodgers has thrown without an interception. That is absolutely incredible. He passed Tom Brady, who had the record at 358. Again, one interception all season, and it came all the way back in week four against the Bills. The Packers did go on to beat the Falcons 34-20, to and wow, the Falcons, yeah, they're just having a, a really, really bad season. So we see how long this streak can continue. Patrick Mahomes continues 
to play at an MVP caliber level, and there was no exception on Sunday as he led the Chiefs on a miraculous comeback victory over the Ravens. This was just a great matchup in general because you had the Chiefs' number one offense going up against the Ravens' number one defense. The Ravens really did give them all they could handle and probably should have won this game if not for Patrick Mahomes' incredible athleticism and talent. He had an improv, just an in, incomprehensible scramble on a fourth and I think seven or eight that if they don't convert this, the game is essentially over. But Mahomes is scrambling for the life of him. And before he runs out of bounds, he just heaves the ball 48 yards downfield to Tyreek Hill. That kept the game alive. They then go on to convert another fourth down pass with less than a minute remaining, which tied the game. And in overtime, the Chiefs started with the ball. They drove down, kicked a field goal. Their defense came up huge, stopped Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, and they got the victory, clinching a playoff berth. Just an incredible game. And that's a good segue into... An even more incredible game this past Sunday, and that was the Patriots. Oh, the sweet, sweet Patriots. They lost on the most incredible, incredible, not a Hail Mary even, but they had a hook, a couple of hook and ladder. Well, they had a couple of laterals in this one, and it was the last play of the game. They were losing, and uh, let me just stop talking about it, and you guys can listen for yourselves. Seven seconds left. Tannehill will throw it. And this will end it after the shovel. Or will it? Miami running around. Circling. Oh, look out! Gronkowski didn't have the angle. Touchdown! Oh, Canyon Drake! A miracle! Miraculous in Miami! Stills to Parker to Drake a lateral heard round the world unbelievable stills with a perfect lateral here gets it to Parker then Parker to Drake and from 50 yards away he's going to run through the entire Patriot defense and you're right look at Gronkowski stumble he was the safety fantastic the laterals were legal yeah so that actually happened against a Bill Belichick led team I can't for the life of me figure out why Rob Gronkowski was in this play on at safety. I've seen the Patriots are accustomed to doing this in the past, but that's on a Hail Mary pass that is going to reach the end zone where Gronk at what is he 6-7 or so can just jump up and swat the ball down. They've done that plenty of times in the past, but not on a play where you know the the Dolphins were around the 30. I, they might have even been at their own 25. And they weren't Tannehill wasn't wasn't throwing a Hail Mary to the end zone. No. This was obviously they were going to throw a short pass and just try to lateral it a bunch of times, but the fact that Gronkowski was out there was the reason they lost this game because he could not get the right angle and he was way too slow to catch Kenyon Drake right at the end of this play and Miami goes on to win 34 
32-33 over the New England Patriots. So just what an unbelievable game that was. Crazy to think that the Patriots would lose something like that. I, I don't remember the last time I've seen anything even close to what that game amounted to. So yeah, kudos to the Miami Dolphins. That was an incredible, incredible play. And it was just one of those things where Drake was looking to pitch it to somebody else, but then all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, there's openings here. I got some blockers. And then it was one-on-one with Gronk and that was it. So Miami gets a huge win and keeps their playoff hopes alive. And then in another upset victory, we have the Raiders stunning the Steelers with a last minute comeback. We all know how bad the Raiders have been. John Gruden has taken a lot of heat for trading away uh, his best players in Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. But down 21-17, Derek Carr threw a six-yard touchdown pass with 21 seconds left to win the game for the Raiders. Well, almost. So what happened was the Steelers had 21 seconds left. They hit a hook and ladder play which was executed beautifully, and Juju Smith-Schuster got out of bounds with, I think, roughly five seconds left. They had a chance. It was a actually an easy, makeable field goal, about 40 yards or so, and Chris Boswell slipped and fell, and the kick was blocked. So the Raiders get just their third win of the season in upset fashion over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the Steelers, that drops their record to 7-5-1. And, and luckily for them, the Ravens lost in overtime to the Chiefs, dropping them to 7-6. and six. So the uh, Steelers just holding on to a grasp of the NFC, uh, AFC North right now. Okay, next up, we had a great game between the Cowboys and the Eagles. A big NFC East matchup pretty much for the division, if you will. And Amari Cooper had himself a game. He racked up 217 yards and three touchdowns, including the game winner, which was an OT. The Cowboys had a big lead in this one, and they kind of squandered it. The Eagles came back, were able to send this game to OT, but just a crushing loss for the Eagles because they had a chance and the ball deflected off Rasul Douglas. And without further ado, let me just play the clip. Extra men on the rush. Pass is caught. Deflection. Touchdown. Cowboys win. Amari Cooper. So, yeah, Dak to Amari Cooper. The ball was actually deflected off the left hand, I believe, of Rasul Douglas. And then Amari Cooper, it bounced right up, right into his hands. He caught it and ran it right into the end zone. Game over. It was a 29-23 win, and it moves the Cowboys to 8-5. Again, they're in full control of the NFC East now as the Eagles drop to 6-7. And And for Amari Cooper, all of his touchdowns came in the fourth quarter or later, and he now has six touchdowns since being traded from the Raiders. Dak Prescott did not look good early in this game, but he turned it on to a second gear. He really turned it up in the fourth quarter and overtime and played phenomenally. I think it was his first 400-yard passing game of the season. So really good job there. And as uh, back to Amari Cooper real, real quick, he's averaging 107 receiving yards per game. And if that holds up, it would be the highest single season average for a player after he changes teams in NFL history. And that's a minimum of five games. 
Okay, Sunday night football. We had a surprising outcome in this one, the Bears versus the Rams. This was a defensive contest, and the Bears get a surprising victory over the Rams, 15-6. to Listen, since the Bears got Khalil Mack, they are for real. I was not a believer, but I am now. That defense is legit. They gave Jared Goff all he could handle. He threw a season-high four interceptions, and the offense of the Rams couldn't get anything going. Todd Gurley was also held in check. He totaled just 28 yards on 11 carries. Really, the game's only touchdown came from Mitch Trubisky, and that was a pass to offensive tackle Bradley Soule. So just a sloppy game all around. Both quarterbacks um, threw a couple of interceptions. Goff, I mentioned, had four, while Trubisky, this was his first game back after missing the past two with that shoulder injury. He threw three interceptions himself. Okay, I talked about Aaron Rodgers. Well, let me get back to the Packers for a second. Former Packers coach um, Winston Moss, he was let go by interim head coach Joe Philbin. This is nothing, you know, nothing new. This was to be expected. He was one of Mike McCarthy's guys. So Moss had been with the Packers since 2006 when, of course, Mike McCarthy hired him. Well, because Moss is linked and to McCarthy, and he's a McCarthy loyalist, basically, he sent a tweet last week that pretty much destroyed the organization. Listen, he said, ponder this, what championship teams have our great leadership, period. It's not the offensive guru trend. It's not the safe trend. Find somebody that is going to hold number 12 and everybody in this building to a Lombardi standard, period. Hashtag losing sucks. He then went on Fox and had this to say. Who would be a good fit for Aaron Rodgers at head coach? Aaron Rodgers has been the head coach for the last nine years. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Okay. Just joking. Just joking. Just joking. What do you mean but, by that? The sensitivity of dealing with Aaron. From the from the fact that he's he's the he's the centerpiece. You give a guy 140 million dollars. Come on. All right. Packers have said on record that Aaron won't have a say in who the next coach is. Do you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> you can't see it, but he was winking. Um, yeah, so this was on Fox NFL kickoff. Listen, most of his answers, as you can tell, were sarcastic and condescending. He believes that Rodgers has too much power, and it's kind of like a LeBron James situation, in my opinion, where the best player— Rodgers is arguably the best player in the NFL, just as LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. And when a player of that caliber— makes so much more money than everybody else in the organization, the head coach included. They're going to dictate the plays they want called. They're going to dictate their frustrations when things aren't going well. They're going to say, listen, I I don't want this guy as my coach. I want this guy as my coach. And that's what Moss is getting into. He believes Rodgers had too much power, and he's he's been the real coach of this team running things behind the scenes for a long time. So interesting words from Winston Moss there. And then we move right along. The Raiders, man, they won their third game of the season. They got their biggest win, upset against the Steelers, but they still decided to fire their general manager, Reggie McKenzie. He was hired in 2012, but in that time, Oakland has been 39-70 and with one playoff berth just a few years ago when they were 12-4. and 
The team obviously traded Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. And let's be frank, this has to have been expected. It just, it's John Gruden completing his takeover, essentially. John Gruden is the face of this organization now, and it's no surprise that he, there's there's reports that he had his own scouting staff and was using them to put together his own big board before the 2018 draft. So yeah, this is no surprise here. It's John Gruden taking over a Raiders team that he inherited. He's trying to basically dilute this team of of everything that it was, and he wants to make his mark on the Raiders. He wants his own guys. He wants to be able to draft his own guys. And as much as everyone wants to bash Gruden for trading Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack, let's see what he does in this upcoming draft where he has three first-round picks. Let's just wait and see. Okay, Monday night football. We had the Seahawks and Vikings, and boy, was it a night to forget for Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has been up and down this year, man, just up and down. And and on Monday night, he was way down, just way down. The Vikings were nearly shut out in Seattle, and I get it. Seattle's a tough place to play, but this was supposed to be a great matchup between the top two wildcard teams in the NFC. And instead, if it weren't for a last-second touchdown uh, by Dalvin Cook, the Vikings would have been shut out. It was a 21-7 final, and it was like 3 nothing at halftime just a sloppy game. The Vikings dropped to 6-6 six, six, and 1. They haven't beaten a single team with a winning record all season. And with that being said, they decided to fire offensive coordinator John D Filippo in just his first year, which I am very surprised because the Vikings are still currently in a spot for the playoffs right now, they hold the second wild card spot. And DiFilippo, coming over from the Eagles last year where they won a Super Bowl, he was a hot commodity. There was even talks of this guy to be a head coach next season. So I am very surprised. I get it. They have been really bad the last two weeks. I think only 17 points in the last two games. But they decide to go in a different direction, fired John DiFilippo, and now quarterbacks coach Kevin Stefanski uh, was named interim and he will take over the play calling. So very interesting there. Now we've got, man, this is the show about the Oakland Raiders here. This is a weird one. So Tuesday, the city of Oakland made good on its promise and they have sued the NFL and the Raiders over what it deems an illegal move to Las Vegas. So if you don't know, the Raiders are set to move to Las Vegas beginning in 2020. They're building a stadium there right now, um, but it's it's not going to be ready. And they believe, the city of Oakland does, that they're being uh, done wrong by and that the Raiders should and the NFL should have to pay them for leaving. So here's what the mayor of Oakland had to say. The NFL's billionaire boys club ditched Oakland out of sheer greed and left taxpayers with millions in unpaid stadium debt. Our community's support and loyalty were met with nothing but bad faith. Today, we're standing up for residents, taxpayers, and fans. Now, the suit does not ask the courts to force the Raiders to remain in Oakland, but it's interesting because the lease on the Raiders playing in Oakland expires after their last home game this season. 
So does this this lawsuit kind of puts into question where the Raiders are going to play next year because it was presumed that they were going to stay right there in Oakland at the Coliseum and play one more season there before they make the transition to Las Vegas. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, Mark Davis came out and he said that the lawsuit was meritless and malicious. That's all he had to say about it. So yeah, this is going to be kind of interesting. We'll see how this all unfolds, where the Raiders are going to play next year has yet to be determined, and we'll just wait and see. Okay, Carson Wentz in that Cowboys game. Apparently, he hurt his back and is not was not expected to play against the Rams on Sunday, but it was determined. We, it, it, we found out, according to Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter, that not only is Wentz suffering from a back injury, but he actually has, uh, what is it? He has a fractured vertebrae in his back, which is quite serious, actually. So the Eagles were going to rule him out for this game, but now he's been designated questionable, and they're not, they've not yet ruled him out. Of course he's not, he's not playing in this game. There's no way. They're just saying that because at 6-7, and seven, they're still mathematically alive for the playoffs, and they're going to try to do everything they can to get Carson Wentz to play this game. But this is why they signed Nick Foles as their backup. I don't understand the problem here. Just start Nick Foles, give Wentz the rest for a week, and see if they can win this game. Because if they don't win this one, then they're definitely out of the playoffs. And that's when you'll know Wentz is going to be done for the year. Okay, Joe Flacco, another quarterback that was on the shelf due to a hip injury. Well, we all know Lamar Jackson has been playing very brilliant football. His team is now 3-1, and one, almost got it done with the victory against the best team in the AFC. But John Harbaugh has come out and he named Lamar Jackson his starting quarterback for this weekend's game. Joe Flacco has officially been... Benched. He will be the backup to Lamar Jackson, and he understands it. He knows it's a business. He knew this was going to come eventually at some point, and he, you know, who knows? Joe Flacco, uh, Lamar Jackson could get hurt on Sunday, and then Joe Flacco could be forced back into a starting role. But if the Ravens are going to make the playoffs and have a run at any chance of a Super Bowl, I think Joe Flacco is going to have a role to play in this somehow, some way, or another. Okay. The NFL on Wednesday, they made a slight change. This was an under-the-radar move. That uh, This is a slight change to the Rooney Rule. Now, the NFL held its winter meeting in Irving, Texas on Wednesday, and the Rooney Rule was brought up probably over the John Gruden hiring in Oakland, but I'll get to that in a second. So if you don't know, the Rooney Rule is a rule that requires teams to interview at least one minority candidate for general manager and for head coach. Now they're saying teams must also interview a candidate that is not currently employed by the team. And this is probably due to the fact that Mark Davis hired John Gruden last year because he he, he even said that he knew John Gruden was all in to return to the Raiders. And then he conducted meaningless interviews with just two guys, their tight ends coach, Bobby Johnson, and then uh, USC offensive coordinator, T. Martin. So that's that's been put in place probably in part because of Mark Davis and what he did there. So the NFL, they also announced on Wednesday 
that the 2020 NFL draft will be held in Las Vegas. The Raiders obviously are set to move to Vegas in 2020, so this decision makes a lot of sense. And heck, I'm actually thinking of going. I've never been to an NFL draft, but I would love to finally go to one. I know I had my chances because they were always held in New York, but this is going to be cool. I think an NFL draft being held in Vegas is really, really intriguing and fun. And if I could get somebody to go with me, hey, you're open and welcome to come. Uh, Eric Berry, we saw him out there last night, but he was cleared to return for the Thursday night game against the Chargers. He's been out since week one of the 2017 season after he ruptured his Achilles, but he made his debut last night. And then Michael Kendricks for the Seahawks had just a bizarre season. I mean, he was cut by the Browns for insider trading. Then the Seahawks picked him up and he played a game or two before being suspended by the NFL for eight games. Then he came back on Monday night after serving that eight-game suspension. And yeah, he broke his leg. Um, So he's been placed on IR. He either broke his leg or he hurt his knee. I I thought I, I read that he broke his leg, but... Pete Carroll did say that he wants to bring Kendricks back next season, but he is facing up to three years in prison, which that could be a problem. You're not going to be able to play football if you're in prison, so we'll see how how that settles. And then we got to talk about Brandon Marshall. The Saints cut Brandon Marshall, who was signed just a week after Des Bryant was signed because he went down after injuring his Achilles. Brandon Marshall didn't even crack the lineup for the Saints. I picked him up in my fantasy league immediately thinking, oh my God, Brandon Marshall is now with Drew Brees and this could be an intriguing you know, wide receiver down the stretch. No, he didn't even play in a single game. And it's bizarre because the Saints are going to the playoffs. So now that Brandon Marshall has been cut, he has still yet to make the playoffs as an NFL player. He's been around for such a long time, and he's not been to the playoffs once. You got to kind of feel for him, but hey, it's a business. And in a corresponding move, the Saints signed tight end Eric Swoop off waivers. All right, let's get to that Thursday night game last night. The Chargers were losing much of the way in this one, but a late game comeback victory and some late game heroics by Philip Rivers. He was brilliant down the stretch. The Chargers mounted a furious comeback and they got a huge victory to even their record up with the Chiefs, both teams at 11 and 3. Okay? So the Chargers, they were driving and they were down a touchdown. They got the ball with just about over 2 minutes left. And down a touchdown, and they drove the length of the field. There was a unbelievable, I don't have the clip, but the fourth and fourth and eight, fourth and seven, whatever it was, to Travis Benjamin was a phenomenal play by Phillip Rivers. He threw this ball before Benjamin even broke, and I don't know how the guy caught the ball because he just turned, and the ball was right there, and he put it so perfectly because Fuller was playing in such good coverage, and that kept the game alive for the Chargers, and then they went on to score the game-tying touchdown with four seconds left. Here it is. Rivers passes touchdown by Williams and they're looking like they're going to go for the win instead of the tie 
Yeah, so that was caught with four seconds. Mike Williams had a huge game. Keaton Allen went down early in this one with an injury. Um, And so it was all Mike Evans. He had a couple of touchdowns in this game, just a beast. And they had to review this play because it looked like he bobbled the ball, but he still maintained control. And then in what seems to be a big trend lately in the NFL, a lot of teams going for two instead of the tie. And the Chargers... Uh, were no exception. They decided to go for two, and guess what? It was none other than that guy, Mike Williams. This is likely the final play that matters. End zone, wide open. What a night for Mike Williams. And the Chargers have their first lead of the night. Four seconds left. They go for two, and nobody covers Mike Williams. It was a busted coverage. I cannot believe it. The guy that's been torching you all game and they leave him wide open just makes you sick if you're the Chiefs and a Chiefs fan at that. So the ensuing kickoff, Patrick Mahomes didn't even get a chance to throw one here. Nope, they they picked up the uh, short kick and time, time expired. So the ch- uh, Chargers get a huge statement win in Kansas City, 29-28. They tied the Chiefs at 11-3 but the Chiefs hold the slight tiebreaker with two games left. So we'll see. Um, And with this game, with this victory by the Chargers, they also clinched a playoff berth. So congratulations to them. And then we have some news from the Giants. Odell Beckham Jr., OBJ, he's going to sit out for the second straight week with a quad issue. I just can't. I I can't with this guy anymore. Uh, So they're playing the Titans on Sunday, and they've ruled him out. And... I just don't get it. I don't get it. He's he he's not about the team. He's about himself, and there's no reason he shouldn't be playing in this game. He talks about how the team's going to win out and get to 8-8 eight and eight and make the playoffs, and yet he's not even trying to play. All right, I don't know the extent of the injury, but it's a quad injury, and he, he should be able to play in this game. I think this is just Odell being selfish and not wanting to really hurt himself and put his body in jeopardy. But again, I think he's capable of playing. So, all right, let's recap the week 14 games. I just want to say in fantasy, I got a huge win. Thanks to my man, George Kittle put up 210 yards receiving. And that is no joke. And I've got, and he did it all in the first half. He did it all in the first half. He needed one catch of five yards, I believe, to pass Shannon Sharp for the all-time receiving record in a game by a tight end, and shame on the 49ers for not getting my man George Kittle one catch in the second half. But man, George Kittle, he carried my fantasy team, and thanks to a a blah uh, performance by Tyreek Hill last night, I'm going to need another 45-point performance from George Kittle if I want to move on to the championship game. Okay, so let's preview uh, week 14 games real quick. My New York Jets got a come-from-behind victory. They actually went for it on fourth down and converted for the touchdown and were able to beat the Buffalo Bills 27-23. The Tennessee Titans, we all know they smacked the Jaguars 30-9. Cleveland beat Carolina, and once again I was wrong. Carolina drops five in a row now, and just bad. You can't be losing games to the Cleveland Browns. Cam Newton had the potential game-tying touchdown and overthrew it for a pick. 
the Packers 34, the Atlanta Falcons 20. Talked about that one. The uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they they were locked in a tight one with the Saints, but late uh, the Saints were just too much. They break away and win 28-14. to 14. The Giants, oh my God, what they did to Mark Sanchez and the Redskins. Four, it was it was well over thirty to nothing. Sanchez ha- had to be benched, and they win this one, forty to sixteen. Josh Johnson came in for the Redskins and mounted a couple of touchdowns. He was named the starter. Mark Sanchez has been benched after just one week, and Kyle Lawletta, because they were winning so badly, he finally got a chance to come in. Went 0 for 5 with an interception, and Pat Shermer had some words to say about him. And I'll paraphrase here. He basically said, you guys, the reporters, you've been asking for him all season. Well, you got to see him, and basically, I told you so. He wasn't good. So, yeah, some serious words from Pat Shermer there on Kyle Lawletta. You have the Indianapolis Colts. They mounted a nice comeback over division rival Houston Texans and end their eight-game winning streak. They win that one 24-21. The Chargers got the win over the Bengals 26-21. I mentioned George Kittle. He went off while the 49ers got the win 20-14 over the Broncos. The Cowboys won in overtime. I said that already. The Oakland Raiders got a big 24-21 win over the Steelers. The Detroit Lions beat the Arizona Cardinals 17-3. Really no surprise there. Cardinals, Wake the hell up get my man david johnson involved a little bit more please guy is a freaking beast almost had 2000 yards from scrimmage a few years ago and you refused to give him the ball then of course you had the sunday night game in which the bears dominated beat the rams 15 to 6 and of course seattle on monday night 21 to 7 over minnesota okay now we'll preview and get into week 15 just two weeks left here i know if you've locked in your uh, fantasy playoffs you've got uh let's see there's just two weeks left so we're in the semifinals here i'm in two fantasy uh leagues and i'm in the semifinals in both leagues so trying to get through in at least one hopefully two we have okay this is what i wanted to say that's right we have a special Special um, two games will be taking place tomorrow on Saturday. So there are two games on Saturday. They kick off at 4.30. You have my New York Jets hosting the 9-4 Houston Texans. And then later on at 8.20, you have the 6-7 Denver Broncos hosting the Cleveland Browns. So keep that in mind, those two games on Saturday. The Houston Texans are 6.5-point favorites, and I would jump on that right now because I see the Texans winning this by at least a touchdown easily. It's hard to to, to to pick against my Jets, but I'm sorry. The Texans are 9-4. and four. That defensive line is stout. I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to have a big game. Deshaun Watson, Lamar Miller, they're all going to ball out. And then in the uh, Denver and Cleveland game, Denver's a hard place to play. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Browns, and I do like Denver in this game. Uh, that half a point is huge, so I, I like Denver by the field goal here. So that's that's an easy one. Then you have the Atlanta Falcons hosting the Arizona Cardinals. Both of these teams are well under 500. I can't believe the Falcons are 10.5-point favorites at 4-9. and nine. I don't trust them to win this game by that much, so I'll take the Arizona Cardinals at plus 10.5. Then you have Buffalo hosting Detroit, and Buffalo's actually coming in this game as a favorite, minus 1. Not, I don't like that. I'll take Detroit at plus 1. 
Next, you have Chicago, five and a half point favorites over Green Bay. And I like Green Bay in this one at plus five and a half. I just think the coaching change. I was stupid to think that the Falcons would would be able to beat the Packers a week ago. Anytime you have that coaching change, it gives that team a boost for a couple weeks. And I think that 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 boost of um a, that boost of confidence and that offense keeps grinding in Green Bay. And I think they get another jolt of adrenaline in this one. And I'm gonna call it. I think they're gonna get the upset over Green Bay uh, uh, over Chicago, especially since Chicago is coming off a Sunday. night night game in which they got their biggest win of the season over the Rams so kind of you kind of see that every now and again when a team gets a big win they have a uh, their next game lackluster performance so I do like Green Bay in the upset there then you have the banged up Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Oakland Raiders and they're three-point favorites really I actually like Oakland in this one uh, with the upset. So give me Oakland plus three. A lot of upsets I'm picking here this week. Next up, you have the Indianapolis Colts at th- uh, minus three over the Dallas Cowboys. I don't see why the Colts at home are three-point favorites. I would look at this as maybe a one-point favorite game, a, a one-point spread, but not three. I get they have Andrew Luck, and he's been great. But Dallas is balling out right now, and I don't think the Indy defense has an answer for Amari Cooper. So again, I like Dallas on the road at plus three. Next up, you have Minnesota uh, against the Miami Dolphins. They're hosting the seven and six Dolphins. Listen, Minnesota is a nine point favorites here. Really? Wow, I-, I can't believe this. I'm taking Miami at plus nine. Um, this this could be one of those cases where the Minnesota def- uh, offense gets that jolt again because they fired their offensive coordinator, but also because they were embarrassed on Monday night. And then Miami is coming off a huge victory over the Patriots. So I could see this one swaying towards the Vikings and them winning this big, but I nine is a big time spread. I would probably stay away from this game, but if I, you held a gun to my hand, I would say Miami plus nine. Okay, next you have the Giants hosting Tennessee. Well, the Giants are without OBJ now, so I am going to take the Titans in this one. Um, yeah, so give me the Titans. I would yeah, except Titans are seven and six, and they are playing a little bit better. The Giants have been rolling of late, but no OBJ. The Tennessee defense is pretty darn good. So I like the Titans here. And then next up you have the Jaguars hosting the Redskins. Both of these teams are bad. Mark Sanchez was benched. The Jaguars are putting Cody Kessler out there. Well, guess what? As bad as the Redskins were against the Giants, I'm starting the Jaguars defense in fantasy for the second straight week because the Redskins are so bad right now that I think the Jaguars will have an unbelievable game on defense. Maybe score me a couple touchdowns, get me around 25 points. I love the Jaguars by nine in this one. I can't believe I'm saying this. I do like the Jaguars by nine. Next up, you have Baltimore minus nine over the Tampa Bay Bucks, And that's to me, that's an easy one. I think that the Ravens will, in fact, win this one by nine. Their number one defense. Look what they did to the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes a week ago. I think that they will stifle the Tampa Bay Bucks greatly, and I think that they win by at least two touchdowns. And then you have the San Francisco 49ers hosting the Seattle Seahawks. These two played just a couple weeks ago. I need Russell Wilson to ball out again like he did in that game a few weeks ago. I need George Kittle to go to go uh, berserk in this game. Seattle by three and a half. I'm, that's an easy one for me. Seattle will win this game by at least 10. 
Then you have a big, the game of the week probably is the Steelers hosting the Patriots. The big one in this one is the Steelers have lost a couple games in a row now. They're, they're looking to bounce back and the Patriots looking to bounce back after that horrific loss. But for the Steelers, we have big Ben Roethlisberger. We saw him go down in that game in Oakland. It took him a while to get back. Apparently, he went on radio show on Tuesday and said that the Coliseum had some old MRI equipment, and that's what was holding him up from getting back on the field. He's got some uh, bruised ribs or something to that effect, but he is looking like he will suit up and play. And then you have James Conner. He's somebody to watch and monitor going into Sunday's game because he has yet to practice. There's an outside chance he could play without practice, but it looks like it's going to be that kid Samuels filling in again for James Conner. So that could be a huge factor for Pittsburgh as well. Um, and New England is two and a half point favorites on the road. I think that, yeah, I, I do like New England to cover that spread and win this by at least three points. Then in the Sunday night game, we have the Rams hosting the Eagles. Wow, the Rams are 14-point favorites in this one, and I'm sorry, Eagles have showed me nothing. I like the Rams to win this one huge, especially without a Carson Wentz. Um, Rams will win by 17 or more. And then finally, on Monday night, we have the Carolina Panthers hosting the New Orleans Saints. I keep picking the Panthers week in and week out because I've said it every time that they've got to bounce back and get a victory at some point because they're fighting for a playoff spot, but they're playing the Saints at 11-2. and two. The Saints are rolling, and I just I, I don't see the Carolina Panthers sustaining enough offense and being able to stop Drew Brees. I just don't. I think the high-powered offense of the Saints is way too much, and at seven points, I like the Saints. I know it's a divisional game and anything could happen. This could be the week, of course, that I don't pick the Carolina Panthers and they go out there and they upset the Saints or they cover this one, but just looking at it, if you had to say Saints or Panthers, it's an easy pick. You go with the Saints, so I like the Saints by seven, and that will do it for our NFL. Wow, that's all the games. Got through that pretty quickly. We're just over an hour. We're going to transition on to the baseball side of things. And we start with Billy Hamilton. The former Reds player has signed a one-year deal with the Royals. The center fielder agreed to a $5.25 million deal on Monday. He is one of the fastest players in baseball, no doubt. Billy Hamilton. He's not uh, known for his hitting, but of course has stolen 277 bases in his six seasons and is also regarded by baseball metrics as one of the best three, two or three best defensive center fielders in the game. So uh, pairing him up with Alex Gordon in left field, who's one of the best left fielders, gold glove type player in, in Kansas City, that's a good pairing right there. And then we have, oh, this was an interesting one. So Adam Otavino, he was the Rockies' brilliant setup man a year ago. He had a great season. He's a free agent. He's yet to be signed by anybody. He throws a deadly slider, deadly slider. He made some funny accusations, and he claims that he would strike out Babe Ruth every single time he faced him. And I just have to, I have to laugh at that a little bit because, granted, yes, baseball 
Back in the day, it's not like it once. It's not like it is now. And I understand what he's trying to say, but let's let's back the pack. Let's hit the brakes for a second. Back this up. He didn't actually say this, but back in I think college, he said he he went on a podcast, I believe, and he talked about how him and his buddies in AAA or wherever he was at the time or in college, he joked that he could strike out Babe Ruth every single time. So nice to think about. Uh, I like the confidence there from Odovino, but let's pump the brakes just for a second. And then uh, let's talk about, okay, so Andrew McCutcheon, he agreed to a three-year, $50 million deal with the Phillies. He was traded twice last year. He finished out his season with the Yankees. He helped the Yankees down the stretch, and it would have been nice for the Yanks if they could re-sign him, but the Phillies just came out of nowhere, and they spent a ton of money on Andrew McCutcheon. I get it. They wanted the guy and they overspent on him, but really McCutcheon is a great guy. He's a great clubhouse guy and he's going to fit in well with this young Phillies ball club. The Blue Jays released Troy Tulowitzki with $38 million left on his contract. What a disaster this was in Toronto, this uh, experiment with Tulo in Toronto, man. So they make this announcement on Tuesday. They're now on the hook for all $38 million, so yikes. Um, Tulowitzki missed, missed all of last season after under, undergoing surgery on both of his heels. Ouch, that does not sound uh, pleasant at all. And then this was a weird one. One of the better free agent pitchers on the market, Charlie Morton, he agreed to a two-year deal with the Rays of all teams. So he went 15-3 last year with the Astros, had a 3.13 ERA and 30 starts, and was named to the All-Star team. He was fifth in the league in strikeouts per nine and hits per nine. And just two years ago, he led the team on a uh, to a World Series championship and won two playoff games. So he's a, he's a very good, very good pitcher. And now he joins uh, Cy Young winner Blake Snell as part of the Rays rotation. So that's a great pairing with those two guys. And listen, we all know what the Rays did a season ago, surprising a lot of teams and finishing just outside the wild card race there. So they're a team to look at going into 2019. Uh, that deal, I don't know if I mentioned for Morton, that is a two-year deal worth $30 million. We then have uh, Lance Lynn. He closed out the year with the Yankees last season. He agreed to a three-year, $30 million deal with the Texas Rangers. We also have the Angels. They added first baseman Justin Bohr on a one-year, $2.5 million deal. And the Reds acquired right-handed pitcher Tanner Roark from the Nats for reliever Tanner Rainey. And I believe this was the first ever trade in history that a Tanner got traded for another Tanner. The Mets, this one was a little a little bizarre to me, but they bring back uh, Jerry's Familia uh, after they signed him to a three-year deal worth $30 million, their former closer. This is why it's weird, because Joe Kelly also agreed to a three-year deal, but his was worth $25 million, and that was with the Dodgers. So a lot of people are speculating why the Mets didn't go out and sign a Joe Kelly, who the Dodgers ended up paying less for anyway, because we all know what Familia is capable of. A lot of Mets fans are just over him, fed up with the amount of walks and the breakdown in the World Series in 2015, and they know what he's capable of, they know what he's been, and he had a domestic violence issue, 
and they just are pretty much over it. So interesting Van Wagenen, he's making splashes. He He's definitely making moves. Whether they will pan out or not has, uh, yet, has yet to be seen, and that remains to be seen, but we will have to wait and and uh and see what he does moving forward but he he, he is for he he it's not for lack of trying he's he's making he he's making his mark as gm of the mets you know he's making some moves so we then have jay hap of the yankees uh he became a free agent yankees picked him up in that trade from the blue jays he was undefeated in the regular season i believe six or seven and oh with the yankees and then he kind of collapsed in the playoffs but the Yankees bring him back for two years, $34 million with an option for that third year. And listen, Jay Happ isn't going to blow anybody away by any means, but he's a solid lefty, and he pitches well at Yankee Stadium, and he's great against the Red Sox and that division. But listen to this. He's no Clayton Kershaw. He's no Max Scherzer. He's no Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, right? But he is one of only seven pitchers over the past four years that have thrown as many innings with ERAs under four as he has, okay? These seven pitchers are your elite of the elite, your Max Scherzers, Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, Clayton Kershaw, Jacob deGrom, Carlos Carrasco, and Jake Arietta. So if you were confused by what I was saying, so only seven pitchers over the past year, over the past four years, have thrown as many innings as Hap has, with ERAs under four, and that's those seven guys, including Hap. So that's good company there. And I think in baseball metrics, he locks lines up as the number 16 or 17 starter in all of baseball, according to baseball metrics. Okay, we move on. Carlos Santana, and all this stuff's going on, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of moves going on in baseball because the winter meetings are taking place in Las Vegas right now, if you did not know that. So Carlos Santana was traded back to the Cleveland Indians. The first baseman was dealt from the Phillies, uh, well, from the Mariners to Cleveland yesterday in a deal that sent Edwin Encarnacion to the Mariners. Ten days ago, excuse me, Santana was dealt from the Phillies to the Mariners in that three-player deal that sent Gene Segura to the Phillies. But now Santana is headed back to the Cleveland Indians where he spent a decade of his career. And in a separate trade, the Rays received infielder Yandi Diaz and right-handed pitcher Cole Sulser from the Indians for first baseman Jake Bauer. So that's a nice little get there for them. And let's, in keeping on the topic of the Mariners, their GM, Jerry DePoto, he made this trade for Encarnacion yesterday or the other day from a hospital bed. He wasn't feeling that good at the winter meetings, and then he was admitted to the hospital for blood clots in his lungs, although good news is he is feeling better, but that's dedication for you right there from the GM. Never taking any time off. Okay, and we move on. That's the end of our baseball conversation. Just a couple of additional points here, and then I will let you guys be on your way and enjoy your weekend. So ESPN's Outside the Lines, they did a they uh, reviewed some food safety inspection reports for all 111 North American pro sports stadiums. You can do a Google search for this and you will find the article and it's really eye-opening. It basically sounds like there's slime, roaches, mice, as well as poor overall food conditions, temperatures, all the likes lurking at just about every major sports stadium in the U.S., and is it really a surprise there? I mean, 
Those vendors are not really, you could tell when you go to these stadiums that they don't look that clean, but it's, you know, it's about getting a quick bite to eat while you sit down and enjoy the game. And what you don't know can't really hurt you, I guess. But again, if you want to find out, find that outside the lines report, you can find it on probably ESPN's website. I got it from the uh, daily newsletter and a quick Google search. I'm sure you could find it as well. Okay. On this date in sports history, we take you back all the way to December 14th, 1969. The great Vince Lombardi earned his 96th and final win as an NFL head coach, guiding the Redskins to a 17-14 win over the Saints. He would go on and play off coach one more week the week after that, but that was a loss to the Cowboys. He was then diagnosed with colon cancer in that spring. He would miss most of Washington's 1970 training camp, and he sadly died on September 3rd, 1970, at the age of 57. So last week, I just want to point this out. Someone told me last week I mentioned, I think I said that 34 was old, which if I did say that, that was probably a mistake. I really didn't mean to say that, but what I was probably trying to say is for coaches, that's that's um, old, but I don't know why I would say that because I don't really believe that. So yeah, one person uh, thought it was pretty funny when I mentioned that 34 years of age was was old. I'm 26 myself, um, so you know, uh, yeah, I would never say that 34 is old. And if I did, I apologize. If I offended anybody, I apologize. But no, that is not old. All right. So before we go. I'll leave you with one last thing. We have a couple games on tonight. South Dakota State at North Dakota State. That's 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. That's an FCS semifinal game, and it's also a big regional rivalry. Then we have the Thunder at the Nuggets at 10 p.m. on ESPN. That should be a big game. We have the 17-9 and Thunder. They're looking up slightly at the 18-9 and Nuggets for the best record in the West. The Thunder really, really, really have been rolling, and they are really... I'm looking forward to seeing what they could they could put out throughout the rest of the season and in the playoffs because they're a dangerous team right now. And they're finally, the move to get Paul George, it's finally clicking. They get rid of Carmelo and it's finally looking like it's going to pay off. So I will leave you with our final clip of the day. And that is the sounds of the week in the NFL from week 14. Good luck to everybody in their fantasy playoff matchups if you're still alive. And if not, well, just enjoy some good old-fashioned football. Again, there are two games tomorrow on Saturday, so don't forget to check out the Jets hosting the Houston Texans at 4.30 and then the Denver Broncos hosting the Cleveland Browns at 8.30. Okay, I'll catch you guys next week. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. So long. Yeah, you know, we had them right where we wanted them. We're not really surprised with, with how things turned out. Guys did their job, and, and we, we got in the end zone. And this will end it after the shovel. Or will it? He's going to run through the entire Patriot defense. 69 yards. Oh, wow. Man, I was just, I was tired. Does <laughs> that play have a name? Yeah, Santa's sleigh. And it's caught by Bradley Soul, lineman. Ho, ho, ho.
Merry Christmas. I was wondering why I couldn't accelerate to the end zone. I'm like, it's taking forever to get to the end zone. I guess I was pulling somebody. Luckily, he just kind of worked back to me, and I saw him, and it's fourth down. You got to give it a chance. Mahomes in trouble, flings it across his body. You see something deep. Waking up feeling dangerous is contagious, you know? Yeah, anytime I touch the ball, I think I'm taking to the distance. He's going in for a Giants touchdown. 